You are now tuned in to Believe. Do you believe? What's up, everybody? Thank you for tapping into some Untapped Keg, our podcast about sobriety and mental health, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and I have the honor to be here with Amanda White. Amanda White is a licensed therapist and the creator of the popular Instagram account Therapy for Women. She is the founder and director of the group therapy practice. Therapy for Women Center based in Philadelphia, where she serves clients across the country. People are drawn to Amanda's unique expertise, accessible approach to healing and mental health, and her expertise has been featured in notable publications such as Forbes, Washington Post, Shape, Women's Health Magazine, and more. Amanda's debut book, Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love, debuted on January 4th. Of this year. It's an honest discussion of mental health where Amanda explores our reasons for drinking alcohol and the benefits of taking a break. For more information, please visit www.amandawhite.com. Amanda, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> We're very excited about this. So I, I told you before we started that I read the book and I loved it. I cannot wait to get into this discussion. But before we do, let's hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of Untapped Keg is brought to you by Sober Athletic Wear. Alcohol, drugs, food, sex, gambling, shopping, pornography, gaming, and even social media are self-medicating tools we use to escape life's traumas, depression, and anxieties. Sober Athletic Wear's mission is to destigmatize addiction mental health, and the negative stigma surrounding the word sober. If you have a heart for dealing, people dealing with mental health and addiction, show your support by repping the sober brand. Visit SoberAthleticWear.com and also watch a clip from our Untapped Keg podcast featuring Troy Colmer, founder of Sober Athletic Wear, as he shares his story of addiction and why he started sober. Remember, we are all getting sober from something. Now back to the show. So, <clears throat> Amanda, you, so where did you come up with the desire to write the book? Yeah, so I, I'm seven and a half years sober myself. Congratulations. Um, thank That's you. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, so I've been sober for a bit. Um, I've worked, I worked in drug and alcohol rehabs. I then started my own private practice and it was a very interesting um, transition going from working in an inpatient facility mm-hmm. to an outpatient uh, practice where I started to notice how many people were left out of the conversation in terms of recovery and sobriety and things like that. Like when you work in an inpatient facility, people mm-hmm. come in, it's very clear they have an issue with addiction. But when you work with people outpatient, I really started noticing how many people were kind of left behind or left out of the conversation of being able to question their relationship with alcohol Mm -hmm. because they didn't identify as an alcoholic or because maybe they didn't meet all the criteria for an alcohol or substance use disorder. So I wanted to create a book that was also written by a therapist, um, not just a memoir, that could kind of bridge the gap and meet people who maybe don't consider themselves an alcoholic or also people who um, have been in recovery for a long time um, and give them some tools that maybe they haven't explored before. That's awesome. I, I love the perspective that you wrote the book from, like starting off in the introduction and the conversation that you have with your mom is it's powerful. I think that a lot of people have been there, right? Um, when you, what, I guess, so your sober journey starting yeah. off, uh, you realized that you needed to make a positive change in your life. 
What did, what did that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because I was someone who I had an eating disorder for a really long time and I knew that my eating disorder was a problem. I knew that that was something I wanted to get into recovery from, but alcohol seemed like, you know, like with an eating disorder, I knew that normal people weren't engaging in an eating disorder the way I was Mm -hmm. But with alcohol. It seemed like everyone else was drinking the way the way I was. So it was a really hard thing for me to reconcile because it felt like I deserved to drink. It felt like everyone else was drinking. Yes, there were things that I did that maybe other people didn't or maybe my consequences sometimes were drinking were more extreme Mm -hmm. than other people's consequences. But I say often that my drinking was kind of like Russian roulette. Like a lot of the times where I drank, it was fine and nothing horrible happened. But those times where I did lose control, the consequences were severe. Like I would abandon people, you know, out at a bar. I, you know, the last time I drank, I got so drunk that I woke up the next morning to teach yoga at 6 a.m. And I was completely drunk when I taught yoga. and. That for me was just such a wake up call. I mean, I did obviously other things along the way, Mm -hmm. but that for me was such a wake up call of I was post-college. I was in grad school trying to become a therapist and yoga was the most important thing in my life. And I taught yoga totally drunk. And it was such a wake up call of like, I don't have control over this and I see where this is going. And I, I just had a moment and I'd had moments before, you know, I'm clear that this wasn't even my worst drunk. It wasn't my bottom even, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I had a moment of being like, I see where this path is going and I don't want to have to, you know, continue down this path anymore and see how bad this gets. Absolutely. I'm somewhat similar. Like I had been kind of leading up to it. So like my last time getting drunk, I didn't have huge consequences. Uh, But like, I had times of like micro sobriety. So I knew that I had an issue and um, my issue was that every single time I drank, I drank all of it. (laughs) Right. Um, So I going into it, like I knew that there was going to have to be a change made. And so what not everybody hits that rock bottom and you, you make that point that that is, that's important or, you know, maybe it's not just rock bottom, but you know, a change needs to be made. You know, something's not quite right. So <clears throat> I love how you say like awareness is the precursor to change. Mm-hmm. You get that awareness that a change needs to happen. How do you recommend trying to figure out what change is best for you? I mean, everybody's different. Yeah. Everybody has to find their own way. Right. But there are ways to help one another uh, or help people kind of take those first steps. Yeah, I think it's really, I think to your point, it is different for everyone. And it's, I mean, that was what was complicated about writing the book or just in general, as a therapist, it's hard for me sometimes to Mm -hmm. just give advice because I can think of like 20 different people and what I would say to each person. But that's really why I wrote the book with a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the best things to do in cultivating awareness is to think about what the costs and payoffs are to drinking or, you know, whatever substance you're engaging in or thing you're doing, because anytime we're engaging with something like that, there is some type of benefit we're getting. It's serving us in some way. It mm-hmm. might not be serving us long-term, But for a lot of us, you know, we'll use a substance to, you know, deal with our emotions, to um, avoid having to have hard conversations with people in order to deal with our social anxiety or depression. So I recommend thinking about what, how is this substance or thing I'm doing serving me in some capacity? And then also thinking about what it's costing you. Because that's where we have to honestly assess, are the payoffs worth the costs? Like, is using alcohol or a drug, for example, 
to, you know, regulate your mental health or Mm -hmm. deal with your depression worth, I don't know, losing friendships, having, you know, not succeeding where you would like to succeed. Um, you know, like a DUI, yeah. Like the other thing, your license, losing your job. Exactly. Or like maybe it temporarily makes your mental health better, but long-term it doesn't, you know, in the future. So that's, I think a helpful place to start. And I also think if you can try to take a 30 day break, that's a really helpful way to start also, because sometimes we don't even realize all the places that we're using something Mm -hmm. until we take that away. And we realize like, Oh, I've been using this to deal with all these aspects of my life that I didn't even realize. And that's, that's eye opening, right? To me, I, so me personally, like I I didn't, I didn't dig into, I'm so, I was a psych major for a little while, changed to poli sci, then dropped out of college, went to line school and became a blue collar worker lineman. And part of that was like, I could not see myself working inside in a day job. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't have an imagination thinking of what a day job could be, I guess. But like, that was a lot of it. Um, But just, I hated myself for so long, right? I I was not a good friend to myself. And that's, I felt like I deserved the consequences from drinking. Like, I thought I was a bad person. I thought I, you know, I was just not good. And now I have two little boys who need a role model to look up to. I need to be a friend because even though I'm going to show them or teach them, tell them, I need to also show them because they're watching me. Everything I do, they're watching me, whether I want them to or not. And um, that's a lot of the reason that I went into recovery. And now like I've really ramped it up these past few months, like seeing my, my son, my oldest is four and he's, getting to the point where he's asking me questions for things that I do. And I'm noticing that he's listening to my conversations with like my little brother or like, Mm. and then repeating it. So you never know like the influence that you have over other people. So doing this, like being your own friend, which you go over in the book so well. Um, One thing that you talked about uh, at the start of this that I really, really love um is you talked about your drinking or um what what you do to kind of like fill your holes or your coping mechanism Mm -hmm. i would say the past five to six years so i'm married to a therapist so um you know she's really explained a lot of things to me even before i stopped drinking but like human psyche is such a a spectrum and now we know it's a spectrum where we used to have the boxes that you would check or the boxes you would put people into. And now we're understanding that gender is a spectrum that every, honestly, everything that makes up a personality is a spectrum. You can't just put people in a box and it's refreshing and it's, Mm -hmm. but, and you point out, we look at everything else that's in a spectrum, but drinking, drinking is a yes or a no. And is it problematic or is it not? And I love that term that you came up with and I would like you to let everybody know what it is because I think it it showcases kind of what you're talking about a little bit more and can break it down for people. Yeah. So in the book, I go, I created a term called disordered drinking. And I think it's a powerful term because right now we still get stuck in, like you were saying, someone either is an alcoholic or not an alcoholic or they have an alcohol use disorder or they don't have an alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. And that really limits our ability to talk about it because as a therapist, really, I can talk to clients about almost anything. We talk about their sleep habits and how those are serving them. We talk about their, you know, their relationships and how those are serving them. But when it comes to alcohol, there is this huge wall that often happens where people say, when you ask them, like, how much are you drinking or how, you know, how has that been? They will say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. And there's this very defensive. And it's like the first thing that they say too, right? It is. It's the (laughs) first thing. And it's crazy how much that just cuts the conversation off Mm -hmm. because we have this idea that if you don't drink, 
the only reason you don't drink is because you're an alcoholic and people are either born alcoholic or not. So if you're not an alcoholic, you should drink. And there's something wrong with you if you're not. So that also creates all this stigma where people don't want to say they're not drinking or explore that relationship with alcohol because it's like admitting that you have a problem or you have a disease or you're an alcoholic. So instead, if we can open it up into thinking about how we all do maladaptive and unhealthy coping behaviors during our lives, that doesn't mean we have a problem with them, right? Just because you get it, fall into a negative pattern of not sleeping and staying up too late and scrolling or whatever, like that doesn't mean you're doomed and you will have insomnia for the rest of your life and right. you have like a sleep disorder and you need to identify yourself that mm-hmm. way. So when we take away the labels, it just creates more space to explore it. And I think a lot of people can fall into unhealthy patterns of drinking. I mean, I think college is a really good example of almost everyone binge, lots of people, I should say, binge drink in college and it might not become anything. They may not develop any type of disorder over it. But if we could have that term where, yeah, like binge drinking is disordered drinking, it's like an unhealthy drinking behavior mm-hmm. we can fall into that we can then talk about, but you don't have to label yourself as having a disorder. And that's, I mean, th- like you said, that's important to starting a conversation, even with just ourselves, like the acceptance that, you know, you could be a better for yourself and for everybody yeah. else around you than you are. I mean, you know, we'd like to say that um, going sober is, the most selfless, selfish decision that you can make because you have to make it for yourself. And if yeah. it doesn't start there, then it's just, it's, you might be able to do it for a little while, but you're always going to fall back in that rut. And the same can possibly said, use something else yeah. like addiction switch. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you don't heal that under part, absolutely. And we'll find something else. Exactly. What I was going to say is, um, you know, it's mental health is the same. Like, yeah, it just seeking therapy doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, we got to remove that stigma, too, which we are. We see athletes doing that. And we see athletes talk about being sober, too, which and I bring up the athletes because I feel like that's where a lot of social change starts, where conversations Mm -hmm. happen. And then and then it can go to it like it filters out to everybody. And then if you start the conversation. That's a big part of it. And I just, I, I love how you break that down so that it's a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. And then the question you ask, you know, do you, what am I getting from the drinking mm-hmm. and what am I losing? But you can, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be drinking. It could be anything. Right. I mean, being hard on yourself, it could make you yes. be better, but then what Absolutely. are you losing? Like, do you, do you feel like you deserve to be laying in bed all day, just not able to move or, and it, it's not yeah. something that you can flip a switch and right. it's fixed. Absolutely. And that's the top of mind and awareness that you talked about that really kind of was a little bit of a light switch for me too, that, um, that's when change really begins. That's where it begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just this conversation is fascinating to me and I yeah. it's it it's going to help so many people your book is and like being able to reframe things for modern people as well like mm-hmm. um you know I I got to see some of your Instagram posts and how you relate those to uh you know your sobriety and stuff and making yeah. it it's fun yeah Well, my, that's my whole goal is when I started my Instagram account, I was really clear that I didn't want to just make like a sobriety account or a recovery account. I mean, I think number, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think Mm -hmm. one, as someone who's in recovery from multiple things, and I work with clients who are in recovery often or need to work on multiple things. We, we want to separate things into boxes again, right? We want to say like this account is for like, you know, alcohol free people. Mm -hmm. And this account is for drug free people. And this account is for eating disorder recovery or something like that. But 
for me, my brain works by just, I like to see all the overlaps of things. And to me, it's like the root of all of the stuff is really the same. And I wanted to be able to talk about mental health and not have to be limited to just talking about sobriety so that other people who maybe wouldn't follow a sober account can be more exposed to maybe their life would be better if they stopped drinking or they drank less or they took a break from drinking. And that's something that we've kind of tried to bridge the gap too. So yeah, we, when we started, we wanted to share our stories so our people knew they weren't alone. Cause when I stopped drinking, I, you know, I went cold Turkey. And one of the things that helped me was I listened to a podcast by Chris Hardwick called uh, the Nerdist and he would interview yeah. celebrities and stuff. And he would talk about sometimes being sober, sometimes it was with a celebrity, sometimes it was about mental health and everything. And listening to it, I'm like, that is awesome. Like that, I'm not alone. Like somebody else yeah. has kind of felt the same way I was. And like, so that's the main reason we started the podcast, but we got kind of dragged down. I wouldn't say like I allowed people to tell me like they only believe like the struggles or, mm. you know, they weren't like, if you're really happy, then, you know, you don't provide much help or anything. It's like, mm. why am I letting people tell me how to feel or how I should feel? about yeah. my sobriety and recovery. Like let's show people that it's fun. Like, yeah, you know, I, I have more fun now than I did while I was drinking. And the reason is that I don't feel guilty about my actions. Same. I mean, I think there is just such an, like, I wish I could shout from the rooftops how much, like you don't know how confident you will feel when you aren't reliant on a substance to have fun to socialize, to do what you want to do when you don't, when you know, like I used to struggle with change and shame so much because I would make all this progress in therapy and then I would go get drunk and it was like, you know, your conscious self (laughs) leaves (laughs) and you do things that you don't want to do that you regret that are out of character, out Mm -hmm. of alignment with your values. And I like, couldn't reconcile with half of my life was conscious and I was participating in it. And then when I would get drunk, it was like something else was taking over. And it was so it caused so much like fragmentation for me. And once I stopped drinking, being able to feel empowered and know no matter what, like I'm not going, you know, I can still make mistakes and do things I regret, but I don't ever have to wonder or not be in control of a situation ever again. And that is like something that's helped my uh, self-worth so, so, so much. Cause I used to be so afraid cause I would act totally out of character when I got too drunk. And yeah, nothing, nothing feels worse than waking up, not knowing exactly what you did the night before and thinking, who do I have to apologize to this time? Yes. Oh my God. That, and uh, yeah, it was just like, what am I doing? So <clears throat> You, you kind of touched on it a little bit and not letting people, and I touched on it too, not letting people tell you how to do things. Like one thing that I've been really um, vocal about, especially I would say the past couple months is gatekeeping when yes. it comes to sobriety. There's a lot of people out there who think <laughs> that they are the gatekeepers yes. and we call it a sobriety journey. You call it a sobriety journey. I think that that's the best message to put out there, that it is a journey that yep. not you. There's no exact path to follow. There's, you know, some no outlines you can. Yeah, there's. And that's the that's the big thing that we yep. try to talk about, too. There is no end point. Yeah. So. What, when it comes to gatekeepers, mm-hmm. you know, how do you think we could best kind of get the message out there that you can, it's your choice, do what works for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how can we get around them? I guess. Yeah. It's such a good question. It's such a complicated question. Um, I interact with it a lot on Instagram. If I share about multiple pathways to recovery Mm -hmm. or harm reduction, I often get people who, you know, 
gatekeep essentially and say, you know, this is dangerous. I think that's the most frustrating message is that this is dangerous. This is harmful message. And I think what happens is people don't understand that. Okay. Maybe for you drink like let's use an example of drinking a mocktail right? Or an alcohol-free beverage. Maybe for you, it's dangerous Mm -hmm. because it would make you want an alcoholic beverage. You feel like it would be a slippery slope. It scares you. But just because you're afraid of it or it doesn't work for you doesn't mean that it won't work for other people. And I think it's gotten, you know, I think people forget that as a therapist, I always think of tons of different points of view because that's just how, that's how my work works. But, you know, just I think trying to remember and maybe I think one of the best things to do is social media is people talking about other things. I mean, I think one thing that really has shifted the conversation in forward is other people coming out and saying, hey, I do this like this works for me. This has worked for me so that people can see other people that are doing well, that this path worked for them. Like, Mm -hmm. I think. 12 step programs were the only option for so long that anything else became dangerous. And one thing that people don't know about, I mean, I went to a 12 step program. I think they're phenomenal for lots of people. And I think one thing that's hard is that 12 step programs were formed before addiction medicine was formed. So a lot of rehabs were formed out of 12 step programs And it's kind of enmeshed and there's no separation essentially between it because the 12 step program created the rehab and then they hired in the medical staff. So there's no separation between them. Yeah. So it's not always the most effective thing. It's just statistically what is most common, for example, in lots of rehabs, which is where a lot of times, you know, people can start this journey. So I guess my long answer is being open, talking about it. I mean, I used to be afraid to talk about how I like liked mocktails and like they're a part, like they're something that, that makes me happy that I like that are, I feel like enhance my recovery because Mm -hmm. it, it helps me, you know, feel more connected and feel like I can have something else to drink besides water. And they're delicious. Yeah, they are. (laughs) And there's lots of like literally completely zero alcohol free beverages. So, um, but yeah, I used to be afraid to share it because I was afraid of being judged. So I think the more people that can share what works for them can help too. And you know that I love the non-alcoholic beverage. So my dad has been sober for, God, he's approaching 30 years and I don't know the exact number. I don't even know if he knows the exact number, but he loves NA beer. Yeah. So he'll tell me like about NA beers and stuff. And I just, I liked the flavor of beer, mm-hmm. but I didn't like the flavor of Miller Lite. I didn't like the flavor of Bud Light, right? Yeah. Like those <laughs> those were my drinks to get, get drunk. And yep. I tried NA beer twice, both times. Yeah. They were obviously on the shelf for a long time. They were skunky. It was like, nah, I'll just have a soda instead. Like that's yeah. fine. <laughs> so it didn't work for me, but my dad yeah. absolutely loves it. And it works for him. Like, yeah. And that's just, that's in a, you know, a family dynamic where things are different. Like they, they look different. And like you said, there, there is literally nothing wrong with that. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed too, um, is that a lot of times these gatekeepers, Mm -hmm. they go after women. Yeah. They, I have talked a lot on Twitter and everything else. And I've honestly, and we're not that big, so that's also part of it, but also, like, just people, they haven't come after us and said, no, that's wrong. Or, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you have to do it this way. Or we have had people in the comments be like, well, are you working the steps? You know, what step have you done? Fourth and fifth step? I don't know what that is. I, <laughs> no, yeah. No, I'm trying to get better for myself. And my yeah. way of getting better, honestly, like, and you touch on this, like, I threw myself into work. I was a workaholic. Yeah. And yeah. Then I threw myself into a video game with my friends. Like we played yeah. every single night. Like I distracted myself. Yeah. Never took a look of what was going on inside. So I never, 
you know, fixed anything when it came to stressful situations. I would pretty much just shut down, mm-hmm. didn't understand or know my emotions, which, you know, that's another thing that I want to get into is, you know, your emotions because they, they come back or they're they always do. there. You <laughs> notice, you're going to start noticing them, right? Yeah. So knowing all of this, like, and then these gatekeepers that come out there, I just, I didn't, I, so I've, one podcast that we love to promote is the unashamed alcoholic Mm -hmm. and she, um, is in AA and she talks about it. People come at her all the time and I'm always like, I don't care. You know, she didn't name names. She says that she sharing her story. Yeah. Just leave it be. If you don't agree with it, fantastic, but you don't have to attack people or you could be like, well, you know, I don't know if I'd be super public about the AA thing because people might be able to find people in your group. Like, that's something different than going out and mm-hmm. saying, you can't talk about this. How dare you? Like, you're a bad person because of it. Like, no, that's shaming people. Yeah. And let's not do that. Let's be. Why can't people just be <laughs> themselves? Right. Why can't we just want to help people and share our experiences? <laughs> let's make it the is- world a better place. It is one of the biggest ironies, right? Because we know shame is something that's super connected to like relapse and like, you know, struggling with a substance use disorder. So it is wild how much people try to shame other people. And it's like, (laughs) you're saying you're concerned about someone and shaming them, which is like more likely to cause harm to them. Like you think you're helping them by being like, don't do this or what's wrong with you. But you're really like actually causing them more, you know, making it more likely that they're going to be in pain and question their decision. And for me, too, what I always think about is, okay, if someone is unable to think about or have enough awareness to understand that something they're doing isn't working for them, they're probably not going to be successful anyway. So you telling someone you shouldn't drink non-alcoholic beer or whatever. Like if they're going to relapse from non-alcoholic beer, or if that's going to be a problem for them, you telling them that is not going to be what helps them. Like they were already going to be dealing, like they were going to already need to figure that out anyway. And that's what a lot of this is. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Oh, my baby, come here. No worries. It's okay. Oh, it's okay. I know. It's okay. Thank you. It's okay. So one thing that we know and but we grow up thinking there is no instruction book to life. Right? There is no manual. There is no template. And that's what a lot of this is, is trial and error. So how do we figure things out? How do we how do we Okay. Come here. <laughs> okay. So, you know, how are you expecting other people to get better without letting them figure it out for themselves? Because that's what we're all doing. Exactly. Exactly. And we can't, we can't do that work for someone else. It's just impossible for mm-hmm. us to do that work for someone else. And if we try to, we're going to probably cause more harm anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, it's okay, baby. I know. Um, so the trial and error. Yeah. Right. Like it's one thing that I would like to talk about with you being a therapist, and this is something that I've struggled with and I didn't realize it till we had a guest on who said that it's uh, something to work on and think about is trying to find a therapist that works for you. Like, let's say yeah. you are, have a have a therapist. You're like, OK, I did the thing mm-hmm. now. It's not quite working. Like, I just don't feel connected How do you, like, I guess, so when, I really like the way that you explain it and like the relationship that you have with your clients in the book, which I know the Mm -hmm. clients are fictitious, but you can just, you can feel how it is. 
how would you describe a good, healthy therapy client relationship? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the most important thing, and I'll preface this by saying the relationship you have with your therapist matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Statistically, based on research, we know that that is the most important factor that determines whether therapy will be successful is how good of a relationship you have, how comfortable you are, and whether you can be honest. Um, Because I think the role of a therapist is really to support you unconditionally but also to kind of hold a mirror to you and show you the little spots where you say one thing, but you do another, or you say that you want to change this, but you struggle to take action. So I think uh, a good therapeutic relationship is one where you can be honest with your therapist, where you feel comfortable with them, where they um, ask a lot of questions, they push you to kind of take action on that, but really where you can, um, where you can gain insight into yourself and what is the why behind what you're doing. That's they help that awareness. And I think that when we talk about that, like that's something that we don't talk about, right? Like Mm -hmm. we don't talk about, we talk about just make an appointment, go to therapy. Like we don't talk about the relationship with your therapist and that's what it is, is a relationship. And if you just aren't connecting, like you think you should, it's a good time to try a new one. And totally, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that. I was just like, Oh, I made the appointment. I have a therapist. They're talking to me. They're telling me emotional words and Mm -hmm. things I can do to kind of work through it and stuff. Like this is, this is great. But there was no push or like mm-hmm. uh, dig deeper into things. Like yeah. I never talked about my past. I pretty or like my deep past. Like I pretty much just talked yeah. about my right there and now, and right. that was kind of it. So, and I that's what I needed was somebody to or I need is somebody to push me mm-hmm. to think about things a little bit deeper. So, yeah, I feel like a good therapist helps you. Like look under every rock, right? Mm -hmm. Like leave no stone unturned in understanding why you do this. What like sometimes people say like, I don't want to talk about my past. Like it's back there. It's not relevant. And yes, if you only spent sessions only talking about your past, I wouldn't recommend that either. But the goal of good therapy is to help you understand you know, the context of why you drink, for example, what things in your life maybe have caused you to develop this belief, right? That Mm -hmm. then causes you to engage with this pattern of behavior. Because a lot of times, if we don't ever look at our beliefs, we're just living unconsciously, carrying out things that we inherited from our families or our culture or society. And then there's no space for us to choose something different. And that's, I, I want to get into that. Uh, yeah. First, let's, uh, let's hear another word from our sponsors. <clears throat> so it's winter time, seasons change. Uh, one thing that I notice is like my dry skin really starts to come in. So I have eczema like right above one of my eyes. Sometimes I get it a little bit over my other eye. Um, I'm bald, as you can see. So like, I'm not used to taking care of my skin. I never... I, I never was raised to put lotion on after every time you shower or put lotion on throughout the day. I just didn't do it. And it's still a little bit of a it's a little bit of a problem that I forget. Like I'm I'm trying to do better. My skin is looks much better. And one way you can help that is through whey. So quench your thirsty skin and leave it feeling satin smooth with whey Melrose Place body cream. Fast absorbing to nourish your skin when you need it the most. And it has hydration that lasts and prevents dryness. It has high quality nourishing ingredients like squalene, coconut oil, uh, sioux butter. I always struggle on that one. And cocoa. You can go to theway.com. To experience the new Way Melrose Place body cream and body cleanser. 
Your body, your way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com, pronounce the way, and use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use the offer code BELIEVE. Um, so, you know, we were just talking about emotions and being kind of unconscious and bringing forth kind of things that you learned. Um, and then I, I said earlier that I wanted to get into the emotions. So that's one thing that we don't prepare for, that we don't associate necessarily alcohol for. I think we do with like drugs and other things, but mm-hmm. numbing yourself so you don't have to feel those emotions. You have an exercise in the book that is, I found myself doing it like three or four times already uh, with your body. Could you, could you explain that mm. to people? Because yeah, it's fantastic and it's helped me name some emotions that I didn't know were there. Yeah. So a lot of times people don't know how to process as an emotion or understand what emotion they're even feeling. And yeah, because yeah. a lot of us, right, I think about it. We, unless you were in therapy or your family was a therapist or you read a book, we're not taught this in school. So I have an acronym in my book that's NAILER is the acronym, and it will teach you exactly how to understand what you're feeling. So the N stands for notice, and it looks like noticing because emotions start as physiological body sensations. So you might notice that your chest is tight, that um, your heart is beating fast. Maybe your palms are sweaty. Maybe, um, you know, you are struggling to take a deep breath. So you want to notice the first thing is just notice all of the different physiological body sensations that are going on. Mm -hmm. The next step is allow. You want to allow the emotion or those sensations to come up. A lot of times people, once they start to feel a tight chest or a sensation, they will judge that emotion. They'll say like, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't feel this way. I need to distract myself. What's wrong with me? We will judge ourselves to stop ourselves from feeling how we're feeling essentially. I think that's really important. And that's a really common thing. Yeah, That's important for people to know. That it's okay to allow it and it's better to. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And obviously, like you might be in the middle of a meeting or be in the middle of doing something Mm -hmm. and you might not be able to stop everything and do this in the moment. And that's okay. But eventually, you know, these emotions need to be processed or they're going to come out in an unhealthy way, essentially. And then the next step of it is investigate. So you want to kind of get curious about, right? Like, why might my heart rate be increased? Why is my chest tight? Does this feel like other sensations I felt before? And kind of get, right, you want to investigate from a curious place, not a judgmental place. Context of emotions really matter. So it's like thinking about what did I do before this? What do I have coming up in the day? Why might I be feeling this way? Mm-hmm. And then you want to label the emotion. And it doesn't seem like a lot of people don't understand how important it is to actually name the emotion that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. But the better studies have shown that the better you can label and identify the exact motion you're feeling, the better you're able to take care of yourself. And a really good way to understand this is if you think about kids and you'll probably relate to this, RJ, because I know you have (laughs) young kids. Yeah. If they only know three emotion words, which a lot of them when they're young, right, know like mad, sad, and like happy, yep, they're gonna feel one of those emotions one third of their life. But if they start to learn the word frustrated or annoyed or tired, right, or yeah. something else that's going on, it can reduce how they're feeling because our understanding of the word also informs how we feel. So labeling your emotion is really important. Um, Name it to I tame think it. A help, 
Yes. So yes. I can't take credit for that one. That was Jessica Leahy a couple episodes ago. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and I think like a helpful way sometimes to start too is to think about because sometimes the idea of labeling an emotion is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I recommend thinking about do you feel high or low energy? And do you feel like high, like, are you in a good or not good mood? And then you can kind of pick from there, right? If you're like high energy and in a bad mood, that's like anger. Where if you're like low energy and you're, and you're in a bad mood, it would be more like depressed. If you're high energy or you're low energy and, um, you know, high mood, it could be like content, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, pleasantly fine but you don't have a lot of energy where like high energy high mood is like excited absolutely and then you can kind of start from those buckets and then start to get a little more deep into what that exact emotion might be and then the final step is like explore and release so it's just you know that might look like journaling a really important thing about emotions is their energy. So, right. They start as this physiological sensation in your body and they don't, in terms of evolution, when we engaged in fight, flight, or freeze, there was something we did afterwards, right? Like if you get ready to fight because a lion is chasing you, you go run. And then that energy is expended. And then your body knows it's safe. We're now, right. I think about like, we're in traffic. And we're like in, you know, we're ready to fight or flight and there's nowhere for us to go. There's nothing for us to do. So it's important to get into the habit of trying to spend some time like 20 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, or at least a couple of times a week doing something to let that energy out, whether that's journaling, like processing what you're feeling by talking to someone, whether that's going for a walk or exercising in some capacity so that you can process some of that energy and let it out. That is like, first off the, the way that you laid out like your high energy, low energy, and then your, um, I can't think of the words. Like the high and low mood. Yes. High and low mood. Like that helps people like me who don't have, I struggle with the words. Right. Yeah. But it's a place to start. And when you have a starting place, you can, Take steps. And, you know, yeah. I've been working on top of mind. So I have ADHD that I got diagnosed with a couple yeah. of years ago. And I finally, uh, two weeks ago, switched to a new medication. I'm on Vyvanse now. And I was yeah. really worried about going to a stimulant because of my alcoholism. And I talked about totally. that with my psychiatrist. And he, t- luckily, I got a sober psychiatrist. So he totally understood where I was coming from and um, recommended this one. I have found words to emotions that I did not, mm. I I just wouldn't have been able to, like there were just too many thoughts and things in my head. <clears throat> so for it to be orderly, like I've, I bought five notebooks and now I have five separate notebooks that I write things in each for a different subject. And I love learning. Yeah. I've always loved learning, but it's like the way that I can now organize and write things down and find words is like Mm -hmm. it's been so eye-opening to me but then having those you know those starting points that you laid out and knowing that you need to feel these emotions and get them out and find something that goes along the lines of um, something that we talk about too is finding a hobby when you go sober yes. or if you've been sober for a long time and you're, you know, feel like you're struggling, you have time now. You used to, you used to be doing something that was taking your time, took so much time. Now you have all this time. What are you going to do? I mean, we've talked about picking up something that you kind of put down for a little while, seeing if you vibe with it, mm-hmm. trying new things. Just, I picked up cooking a few years ago and now like I'm all in on it. And I love cooking. I love making these meals. I started with Blue Apron. That was my starting point. And now, like, I'm starting to branch out even more. I've cooked Indian food. I've cooked a lot of Asian food. Like, it's become my... I'm actually, right now, in my Instant Pot, I made uh, French toast bread pudding this morning that I'm going to eat after this. And I hope it turned out really well. So, (laughs) like, that's something that I've done. So, like, if, if you're looking for an outlet, like you said, you're journaling... You know, you're exercising. It's like 
explore yourself and try to find that new hobby is would be my advice. Absolutely. I think a lot of us are creative and we don't identify with that or realize that. I really believe everyone is creative in some capacity. It doesn't need to look like being an artist, Mm -hmm. right? It could look like cooking. It could look like, I think it's creative if you like, like to hike and you learn about the different types of like, you know, nature that you're in or different Mm -hmm. trails. And I think, I think create tapping in creativity is so nourishing and, and really helpful. I think that's a really amazing point. And I really appreciate that. The way that you approach things are so all encompassing. Like you, you take these specific things and like it, it's relatable. Like the way that you're able to relate things, it's, that's, that's a skill and a talent and like you, you have it and it's, it's fantastic. So, um, you know, we're kind of winding down a little bit, but one thing that you talk about in the book and I want to get into real quick. Um, and then I talked about it earlier is like workaholism and how we get that passed down from our parents. But one way that I've started to look at it is it's really toxic work ethic. Like where Mm. you are, it's not necessarily just workaholism, but it's like the work ethic that we think we have to do because that's what we not just saw, but we're told that's what we have to do. Like you only have finite amount of time in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're just going to put it into a job and let's say it's a job that you don't enjoy trying to make ends meet, like Mm -hmm. the way that our culture glorifies that is dangerous and yes what have you seen like in relation to maybe like a substance or Mm a hot you know getting falling down into a hole of some sort with like the the culture and the toxic work ethic as i call it yeah i mean i think i think you're spot on with i think it's like our culture i think that we are taught a lot of us that our worth is tied to yes. like our productivity. And a lot of times that and can even span from thinking about, yeah, it's the first question, right? Often mm-hmm. people ask when we're young, a lot of times our parents might praise us only for what we do necessarily. So it can become this way that we know to get love or attention. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really common thing sometimes, especially I think because when we stop drinking or engaging in a substance, we do have this time. We may feel like we were behind with something, right? Like maybe we start to realize we spent so much, we wasted so much time over the past couple of years, or maybe we didn't like succeed in our career. So we can channel all of that energy now into like working and trying to be as as, you know, productive and kind of perfect Mm -hmm. as possible as a way to avoid, right. That feeling of recognizing like, oh my God, I missed so much of my life, or I didn't realize how much time I spent doing that. And really we can almost like work and be productive and produce to avoid dealing with those emotions and sadness. And I think there's a grief that happens in any change, but especially when you make a big change, like getting sober. And if we just work over that, we can avoid it for a while, but then we never actually deal with, right. Like that won't get us where we want to go. Like it can help and we feel better for a while, but there will never be enough success (laughs) that will help us avoid the pain of being human. And I think that's a really good point. So I've been I've read so many books like the past two months that I haven't read before. Like I'm in, I'm in this growth mindset that is, Mm -hmm. it's new to me and like, it feels so empowering. But one thing that they talk about in the books is we always put these points, right? Like if I just get my degree, everything will be better. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is true. Like if I just get my career, everything will be better. If I just do this certain thing, we always put these points on it. If I just get sober, yeah, everything will be yep. better. Like we have to put the work in. Like it, it's there is really no endpoint. Like you said, with our sobriety, there's no endpoint. With life, sure, there's a little bit of an endpoint, but like it's not, <laughs> it's not looming over the top of you. Mm-hmm. We don't know when. 
So really, we're just trying to be the our best selves and grow. Like get that growth. Understand that that's gonna be more fulfilling to yourself than hitting this goal. I think one place that we put this on that I've kind of tried to is retirement. Right? It's like mm-hmm. we try we talk about retirement. We get to retirement. Why are we wasting our 20s and 30s thinking about <laughs> what we're going to do in our 60s? Like, yeah, that's something that we need to change. And I think that, you know, millennials, younger, like the Gen Z and all that, like, I yep. think it's starting to change a little bit with that. Yeah. And I'm very happy, but it makes me feel bad for the older people that that's what they look forward to. And a lot of them didn't get to experience it. And yeah. I mean, that's something to think about. Like if you've never thought about it and you're working and you're like, well, when I retire, I'll be able to travel. When I retire, mm-hmm. you don't you don't know if, you know, your body's going to hold up. You don't know if something you did yeah. like when you're 15, 16 and you hurt your knee and then all of a sudden you're 30, 40 and now you need a knee replacement and you can't walk like you used to. I mean, that's things that happen that we don't yeah think about. And like, that's something that, um, I think that we need to kind of work through too is that end point where everything's going to be better, but it's not, oh, it's only going to yeah. be better if you take the steps and that Absolutely. awareness. Cause I think too, like people wait their whole life to retire and then they retire and they're like bored. They're unfulfilled. They're yes. like, this is what I was waiting for. I mean, I think we can build up so much to that end point and then we get there and it, it feels good for a little, but you still, you know, like I, I really relate to this too. Cause I, for so long was like, if I could just be successful, if I could just, you know, I mean, I was like writing a book, right. will change mm-hmm. my life. It will be the epitome of being successful. It's amazing. And yes, writing a book and having it published was amazing, but it doesn't fix the pain of being human. It doesn't take away that the day that my book launched, like like, you know, like my dog got sick and I had to like clean up my dog, you know, like, it's like, we're all going to have to do all of these things still that we don't want to do. Yes. Feel the emotions we don't want to feel. Nothing will ever take that away. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's what I want people to take away from this is that, you know, you, you have to be aware taking the steps. Right. And this is like it, one thing that I love and I want to, Make sure that everybody can understand, like, we're talking about sobriety and mental health, but this relates to everything. Like, you can take these lessons and put them into being a parent, put them into being a better, you know, whatever your hobby is, put them into being a better uh, spouse or partner or um, son, daughter, all of it. Like, all of these steps can be applied to your life. And um, that's why I think you know, this book that you wrote is so special. Like it, it really is, it starts with sobriety, but it goes into so much more and it goes into your emotions. And like I said, the way that you're able to break things down to make easier for people like me to understand, like that's not something that is easily done and you accomplished it in spades. And I just want to congratulate you on that, that Um, I, I really think this book is going to be a success and it can benefit people who are thinking about getting sober, people who are sober now and been so like just now starting sober or 20 years sober. It's going to, it can benefit everybody. Um, so now, now that we're really winding down, people want to find you, Amanda, where could they find you? So you can follow me on Instagram at therapy for women. My uh, handle is not just for women. <laughs> it's just the name of my practice. Um, but everyone is welcome there. Um, you can check out my book. It is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore, anywhere books are sold. It's called not drinking tonight, a guide to creating a sober life you love. And if you're interested in, um, you know, I have like courses and other things I'm working on. You can visit my website, which is amandaewhite.com. And we'll be putting that in the show notes so you can find it. Once again, that book is Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to a Sober Life You Love. 
And that's the thing is life you love. Let's, let's yep. highlight that. Like it, it is a lovely life. And, um, you know, I, I want to thank you for coming on our little podcast here and having this wonderful conversation. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you do. I'm excited to see these courses. Go to Amanda E white.com and check out what she's got going on there. We are untapped keg. We are a sobriety and mental health podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. You can find us everywhere as Untapped Keg. We're lucky enough that that handle is available everywhere. Soon we will also have a website up. <clears throat> find us as an audio podcast on all podcast platforms. See our videos on youtube.com slash untapped keg. We are really, I should say, I am really putting a focus and emphasis on our video content like i'm learning how to edit i'm learning how to make graphics so going forward i think the videos are going to be a lot more fun to watch and you know thank you everybody who joined us live like we really appreciate it and you know let's try to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday because at least if we don't make it we try and have a good week everyone Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.